to the Indian Creek Baptist Church podcast. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. Our website is www.indiancreekbaptistchurch.org or our email address is info at indiancreekbaptistchurch.org. It is our sincere hope that through this podcast, God will speak to your heart and touch your life so that you may grow closer to him. Tonight, we are back in the book of John. Uh, We have just last week um, saw Christ working in the life of Lazarus as he is passed on and uh, Christ sought him and brought him back out of the tomb. Today, uh, we're going to continue on and see some very odd reactions. John chapter 11 and verse number 45 is where we're going to pick up. John chapter 11 and verse number 45, the Bible says, Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people." And that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation, and not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Then from that day forth they took counsel together for to put him to death. Jesus therefore walked no more openly among the Jews, but went thence unto a country near to the wilderness, into a city called Ephraim, and there continued with his disciples. And the Jews' Passover was nigh at hand, and many went out of the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then sought they for Jesus, and spake among themselves as they stood in the temple, What think ye, that he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a commandment that if any man knew where he were, he should show it that they might take him. Let's pray. Father God, again, we love you. We thank you so much for this glorious day. Lord, we thank you for the picture that you've given us in the power of Christ as he spoke and Lazarus came forth out of the grave. Lord, we thank you for loving us enough to send him to the cross to pay for our sins. Lord, I can't wait for that day where we will once again hear, come forth. And your chosen people, your children, those that are saved, will leave this earth and enter heaven. Lord, where we will spend all of eternity with you. So God, please help us to see and understand the different reactions to this great miracle. Help us to look inside ourselves and see just where we stand. God, please speak to us tonight. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we looked last week, 
we saw Jesus proclaim, Lazarus, come forth. And the dead lived again. What powerful words. Lazarus overcame all the obstacles in front of him, hopping out of the grave, still bound in his grave clothes. After all of this, you would think that nothing could possibly go wrong. What could possibly be better than than that which was once dead being now alive? But unfortunately, nothing could be farther from the truth. Lazarus, yes, is whole and walking the earth again. But for how long? The Bible tells us that many of the Jews who witnessed this miracle believed on Jesus and their lives would be changed forever. Praise the Lord. But there were those who, for some reason unknown to everyone but God, had to go and tell the Pharisees. Now this very well could be that they were just so excited that they were telling the miracle everywhere. Or it could be that they were spying, trying to gather evidence against Christ. We don't know for certain that this was an evil act. But we do know that when the Pharisees heard that Lazarus had been raised from the dead, they immediately had a very distinct reaction. Verse number 47, Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we do? For this man doeth many miracles. Imagine having your heart so hardened that someone being raised from the dead causes you to not rejoice, but to seek harm. They feared that if Christ was allowed to continue, the Romans would come in and take everything that they had. They would destroy them. I would like to believe that these people that told the Pharisees were full of amazement and wonder and they just had to glorify God. I want you to notice here though, and this is just kind of a side note, that word counsel in verse number 47. That word counsel, not counsel like being a counselor and and getting advice, but counsel as a gathering of people is used 25 times in the King James Bible. And out of those 25 times, only once is it used in a context that is not directly relating to a group who is against God or Christ. Every other time. They are seeking harm to Christ or Christ's people. And this time is a perfect example. Many of the religious groups today are led by councils. The direction that the church goes is decided by a council. I would think that something that has such a bad reputation in God's word 
would be the farthest thing from the church. But unfortunately, it's not. This is one of the reasons that we are an independent Baptist church. We don't live under the authority of a council. But even in many independent Baptist churches, councils are formed to make decisions. And it's unfortunate. But we're not preaching against councils today. Here we are seeing what this council has decided to do. Their main concern is that they are going to be removed from power. They've got to figure out how to explain away what has just happened because it's painfully obvious to all of them that Jesus has a power far beyond anything they have ever seen or understood. The thing about all of these men is they know who Christ is. They just are refusing to accept it. Their concern is not, is he the Messiah, but what do we do with him? Because if he, we let him continue, Rome is going to destroy us. They're already slaves to Rome. Rome already directs everything they do. They tax them. They make them stay in certain areas. They keep them from being able to be freely moving about. The priests and the Pharisees are only able to rule because Rome allows them to. Their worry is not for how they are going to serve God, but how they can serve themselves. They're far more concerned about losing their perceived authority than they are about actually serving the God they claim to serve. Christ's miracles are getting more and more convincing, and if they allow him to continue, the world will follow him. And Rome will be upset. As we've been going through the Ten Commandments, we see very clearly that we are to put God above all. We are not to have idols, put anything before God, bow down to anything. Yet here, these men who would have studied their entire excuse me, studied the commandments their entire lifetimes are putting Rome ahead of God. They're comfortable being ruled over by the ungodly. At one time they understood that God was their authority and would return to him when they were corrected. We saw that back in the book of Judges. Or now as we get into Judges 13, starting to see the beginnings of Israel not repenting and turning back to God. Up to this point, they have always cried unto the Lord when they've been put under another's rule and they've sought God's face and sought a deliverer now they've been so far away from God that Rome is all they know this is what happens when we allow the world to influence us instead of us influencing the world 
we talked this morning in the book of Judges about being separate, the vow of the Nazarite. And how that relates to us in our Christian life. We saw as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 6. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and will walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. Paul is begging for these people to turn away from the sin that's ruling their lives. Christ, as he walked this earth, did everything that he could to get the Jews to turn back to God and to serve him. It is interesting here to think about the story that Christ told in Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. And verse number 19. The Bible says, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldst send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If, thou, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Nowhere does it say that this is a parable. I believe that in John chapter 11, we have the fulfillment of this rich man's request. I believe that this is the same Lazarus that died full of sores and ended up in Abraham's bosom and 
God brought him back from the dead. And it's not a stretch for me to believe that the brethren that this rich man is speaking of are these very Pharisees and chief priests. And yet, they refuse to listen. Abraham said that even though one would come from them that come to them from the dead, they would not hear. Much like Haman, when we looked at him this morning, they built themselves up, built themselves up to be very high in men's eyes, and their fall is coming. The solution this council comes up with is it's better for one to die rather than all. This is a group of men who are now plotting murder. Not because it's best for the nation, but because it's best for their authority and to keep their authority from being degraded. Interestingly enough, the very thing that the priests and Pharisees are worried about, Rome coming in and destroying them, actually happened in A.D. 138, not long after Christ's resurrection. The Roman emperor Hadrian came and crushed a rebellion, the Bar, the Bar Koba, Kokba revolt, and he banned all Jews from the promised land scattered them throughout the world. And Israel was no longer a nation. Not until the nation was reformed in the mid-1900s. They were just a bunch of people spread all over the world with no connection to God any longer. I find another interesting statement here as it speaks of Caiaphas. <clears throat> In verse number 49, And one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all. Anyone who's studied the Old Testament even a little would understand that the high priest was appointed by God for a lifetime. Aaron was the first high priest. And then it was to be passed to his sons. But it was to be for life. So either God is just saying that at this time, Caiaphas was high priest, or he's saying that this year, Caiaphas was high priest. And if you look at secular historians, they would tell us that the priest's office, because Rome was ruling over Israel, was up for sale. Much like our president, much like our legislatures, they rotate. Unfortunately, our elections mean very little if you don't have the money. But the office was up for sale to the highest bidder. In Leviticus, Aaron was anointed with oil by Moses to become the high priest. 
in Numbers 35, we see a man who accidentally killed another man and was allowed to flee to a city of refuge. And if he wanted to survive, he was required to stay there until the death of the high priest. There would be no end if a new high priest was elected every year. But again, I believe in Christ's time right here. I believe that this is put in here because this office was sold to the highest bidder. This council was gathered together. These were supposed to be the religious leaders of Israel. These were supposed to be men who would point Israel to God. And all they could come up with was kill Christ. God's only son. God's only begotten son. We are definitely getting close to the end. But I want you to notice the prophecy of Caiaphas. In verse number 50, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. God can even use a wicked man. We've seen it in Ezra. We've seen it in Nehemiah where God took a Gentile king and used him to take Israel back to rebuild the temple, to rebuild Jerusalem. Here I believe God is speaking through Caiaphas to give us a glimpse of what's to come. Verse number 52, And not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Christ has already said he has sheep of another flock that will be gathered together at his death. Here God is confirming to us all that his children will become one. Romans 8.28 says, For all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. God is going to take all of this, which was no surprise to him, and he's going to use it. Caiaphas is going to be proven right. Christ will die, not just for the Jews, but for the whole world. The best possible thing for the world is for Christ to die at this point. But it's not time for that yet. God's perfect plan has been laid out since the creation and there is a time and a place for Christ to offer himself. So Christ again decides to remove himself from the area. Here we understand that the Jews' Passover is coming and that the Jews are moving to Jerusalem to purify themselves for the Passover. And we close the chapter with the Pharisees putting out a be on the lookout for Christ. They are so enthralled with killing him that they are seeking him in every corner from everyone. 
John chapter 12 is the beginning of Christ's last week. As he enters on Palm Sunday and is crucified on Wednesday and resurrected on Sunday. And we're going to see as we continue in chapter 12 that it's not just Christ who has a death warrant on his head. But where are we today? Are we one of the many Jews that came and believed on Christ when they saw Lazarus resurrected from the dead? It doesn't say all. So there are some that just let it go like it was an everyday occurrence. I pray that we're not the chief priests and the Pharisees seeking to kill Christ. But I fear that we often live like that. Again, we talked this morning about that superficial Christianity. A great miracle has been done in each and every one of us. What was once dead is now alive. We are a new creature. Born of the Spirit because Christ died on the cross to pay for our sins. Lazarus had a completely new life. I doubt he went back to living like he was before he died. We have a completely new life. Are we living it for God? What do we do with Jesus?